Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima Laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic-grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at-home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin, and now... This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Food Heals Podcast, episode 127. So I asked my translator why they have these bars on their windows and their balconies. And she said, it's because people go through a lot of depression and they commit suicide because they only get to go home for a couple of weeks in a year to see their family. And the rest of the year, they're just working day and night. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Hills Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat in this dress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today, we're going to share our eco-friendly fashion and holiday shopping tips. And then I'm talking with Sagand Agrawal. She's the designer and artist behind Gunas, a vegan line of handbags. On the outside, the fashion industry looks like all glamour and fun, but there's an unfortunate dark side to the business. Between unethical labor practices, child workers, sweatshops, and unbearably low wages, there's a lot to be concerned with, not to mention the pollution and animal abuse involved. And you know, leather is a huge problem. Um, leather, it can be made from cows, pigs, goats, sheep, alligators, ostriches, kangaroos, even dogs and cats, Susie, I know who are slaughtered for their meat and skin in China, and they export, you know, their skins all over the world. And because leather is not normally labeled with ingredients, you never really know where, you know, it came from. So that plus the abuses that the animals suffer is just horrifying. And so I've personally made a pledge to stop buying leather. Now, I still have tons of stuff that I've bought before I have shoes and things like that, but I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy any more purses, and I haven't been um, for the past year, and it feels really good. And everything I pick up, I look and see if it has leather. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it. And there's so many alternatives that look so great. Yeah. And it's really not necessary. It's not necessary. So we're going to give you some tips for eco-friendly holiday shopping, and then Ali talks to the founder of Gunas, who is a champion for animal rights and vegan fashion. I'm so sad you missed that interview, Suze, but I did have a great interview talking to her. She's really inspirational. And don't forget, you can get 20% off Gunas' beautiful handbags by going to gunasthebrand.com using the coupon code FOODHEALS. So if there's someone on your list who considers themselves an eco-fashionista, Gunas is the perfect place to shop for them this holiday season. I'm an eco-fashionista. Yes, you are. <laughs> and if you want to get Susie and I a gift this year, just leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Ooh! <laughs> Ratings and reviews help us get more listeners and climb the podcast charts, so it would mean the world to us. It really would. And our swag bag contest is back. What? 
So. Oh my God. <laughs> we have a gift for you too. We still have four VIP swag bags left over from our Food Heals podcast anniversary party, and we want to send them to you. And let me just say, they're awesome. They're so awesome. We will choose four of our favorite reviews and send four lucky winners a swag bag full of organic healthy products and discount codes from our partners and sponsors. We've got soaps. We've got swag from Global Healing Center. We've We've got got sprays. Sprays. Aqua Spirit Refreshing Spray. favorite. Yeah. We've got tons of discount codes and coupons for all of your, I don't know what to say, eco-friendly, vegan, organic needs. So yes, well put. The bags, the bags are awesome. So just leave us a review. You know what to do. If you participated last time, you're welcome to participate again. Just leave us that review and then tweet it to us at Food Heals Nation. You can tweet the screenshot, or you can Instagram it to us, or you can Facebook it to us. We're at Food Heals Nation. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. All right. So here are Susie and Allie's eco-friendly shopping tips this holiday season. So first is no more fast fashion, Food Heals Nation. We don't need it. I know it's great to buy a t-shirt for $3, but you know, there's a reason that that price tag is so low. The garments are made to fall apart and there's, you know, retailers like, maybe I won't name names, but they're- Name them. Okay, like Forever 21 and That one in particular. Yeah. and. You know, they're dependent on our desire for something new instantly that to wear tonight. And, you know, it's a dress that's going to get a hole in it after one wash. And it's just not worth it. And so many of these fast fashion chains still institute really unethical labor practices. The reason I said name them is I specifically have bought stuff from Forever 21 and I sh- you know, I'm way past 21. But I've, <laughs> I've washed it once. Yeah. And it falls, falls apart. apart. And and to me, I'd rather have something that is a little more expensive that will last, that I love, that makes me feel good and just doesn't fall apart when it gets water on it. Yeah. It's just weird. So it's so wasteful to throw all these clothes away. Then they go to the landfill. You can't even donate them because they're destroyed after one wash, like you said, or wearing them twice. And if that's not enough to deter you, according to the Center for Environmental Health, Fast fashion retailers, and they're naming them, so I guess I'll name them here. Uh, retailers like Charlotte Roos, Wet Seal, and Forever 21 are still selling lead-contaminated shoes, belts, purses above the legal amount, even years after signing a settlement where they agreed to limit the use of toxic heavy metals. Why are in they? Their why? Why? Why are they putting lead into shoe? Why? That makes me angry. I guess it's a part of the manufacturing. I don't know the answer. Yeah. But we don't need this because anything that touches our body goes right directly into our skin. That's why we always preach, you know, organic, vegan, good, sulfate-free lotions and shampoos and things like that because it's going into your bloodstream. It's the same with what you put on. Yep. So that's why we also don't want to use like toxic laundry detergent because that is going in our bloodstream and we don't need that. Nope. And yes, the body can detox, but it can only not handle for, I mean, so much. lead, there's no purpose. There's yeah. no purpose to no, that. No, and how many people have we interviewed on the pod- podcast who had some sort of heavy metal poisoning and they had to do chelation or some extreme measures to get it out of their body? Yeah. You know, so it's just not worth it. No. Nope. So no more fast fashion. No what's, more. What's number two? Know your fabrics. Know your fabrics. So there's a lot of natural fabrics. There's a lot of eco-friendly fabrics, especially now because luckily this is all going mainstream. So there's bamboo, silk, organic cotton, soy, hemp, 
those are just a few. I'm sure there's more, but well, Lyocell is on here, and that's one that I've recently discovered and was like, wait, is this fake? But no, like synthetic, but yeah. no, it is not. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. And do not buy leather. Turning animal skin into leather uses dangerous chemicals, including mineral salts, formaldehyde, and coal tar derivatives. Gross. And this stuff could cause cancer, guys, so just stay away from it. Yeah, it's not worth it. You know, know your fabrics, know your laundry detergent, like I said. Those are both really important. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and get a whole new wardrobe tomorrow, but be conscious of these things. That would be fun. I know. Well, we could do that. Well, we'll Food Heals Nation fund it. We'll take donations. <laughs> <laughs> but even when you're buying for some someone else, do it with love in your heart, knowing that you're contributing to something better in the world, not something worse, not to bad labor practices, not to animal, you know, um, abuse. Yeah. It's not worth it. No. Um, and so, like... There's so many examples of this, and we're not doing a podcast on this, but you can research this online. You know, the Centers of the Center for Disease Control found that the incidence of leukemia among residents near a tannery, which is where they make the leather in Kentucky, was five times greater than the U.S. average. So what is that telling you? When can- It's a cancer cluster. A cancer cluster happens for a reason. Well, the reason here is because of this chemicals. tannery. Yeah. No. So all the chemicals Susie listed, you know, that shouldn't be in our environment. And so the the people that are working there are getting sick. The people that are living in that area are getting sick. So know your fabrics, people. What's number three? Buy vintage. Buy vintage. Vintage shopping is so much fun. Yeah. It's so fun to go to those stores and find something it's like... It's really fun when you find something you really like. Yeah. And that's something you can keep forever. And it's valuable. There's a story behind it. You know, somebody owned that, somebody loved it, and now you can love it and own it. And vintage is in style, so it's cool. And they made things of quality a long time ago. Things that lasted, that could last for 40 or 50 or 60 years, right? That's why they're vintage, because they still last. Okay, so buy vintage because um, it looks great, and it's cool, and it's eco-friendly. And Susie recommends it. I do. (laughs) Two thumbs up. Um, You can also, number four, is sign Greenpeace's Detox Fashion Manifesto. And so Greenpeace believes that fashion shouldn't cause toxic pollution. So you can sign this maybe if you wanted to show your support of the organization's detox initiative, which urges consumers to challenge brands and demand that they create fashion free of toxins. So Susie and I try to live a non-toxic life. It's not always possible. There are environmental factors you can't control, but everything you can control, why not? And if you can make a difference with a signature, why not? It takes less than, I don't know, three minutes. So what does the uh, manifesto say, Suze? It says, uh, we believe that brands and suppliers must act immediately to stop poisoning waterways around the world with hazardous chemicals. That's number one. Number two is we recognize this will not happen overnight and want brands and suppliers to be transparent about what chemicals they are releasing in the environment on the road towards toxic free fashion. It's our water and we have a right to know. And that couldn't even be more pertinent with the whole Standing Rock thing, you know. It's just we need to know what is what is being released into the environment mm-hmm. from all of these mm-hmm. companies, corporations, manufacturers, farms. We need to know. It's true. And number three is we believe in rewarding and collaborating with honest and progressive suppliers and brands and will encourage others to do do the same. 
So I signed. Susie, are you going to sign? I'm going to sign. Roxy, are you going to sign? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Our podcast producer is going to sign too. So the last one is just go to clothing swaps because you can find so much great stuff from, you know, things that other people your age or your friends have worn. And it can be like brand new to you, even if it's old to them. They're like, oh, I've worn this so many times. My friend always says, I can't wear this. It's been on Facebook. So she gives it away, and I'm like, I'll take it. I don't care if it's been on Facebook. I remember I had a sweater that I actually still wore, but my friend loved it so much that I had to give it to her because she just, like, adopted it as hers. And uh, you know what? I was like, I'll get another sweater. Totally. I've had that happen, too. Um, So you can do swaps online. You can do it with your friends. There's lots of cool sites and apps. There's Bib and Tuck. There's Poshmark. You can donate them, of course. Uh, there's so many ways to just give give your clothes away to someone who either needs it more than you, whether it's um, giving it, donating it, or just your friend, like Susie's friend that obviously needed that top more than she did. She did. She totally <laughs> stole it. <laughs> All right. Next up, we're going to play my interview with fashion designer and founder of Gunas Sagan Agrawal. Having grown up in India, a country where cows are worshipped and ironically also slaughtered for their meat and skin, she witnessed this cruelty firsthand and knew deep within that she had to do something about it someday. In 2001, she moved to the U.S. and received a Bachelor of Fine Arts Industrial Design degree from the Columbus College of Art and Design in Ohio. She also holds a Master's in Design Management from the Pratt Institute of New York. While at Pratt, she met a leather handbag designer. They had a long conversation and strongly disagreed over the effects of leather and the ignorance of its users. So she had her aha moment and developed a business plan for Gunas, which, like we've told you many times, is the 100% animal-friendly handbag brand, which I'm going to ask her all about. Welcome, Sagund. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad to have you here. Can you tell everyone listening a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Sugand. I am the founder and creative director of Gunas uh, New York. Um, it's a 100% vegan handbag line, um, which is also ethically produced using artisan studios all over the world. So yeah, that's what I do. Susie and I are huge fans of your handbags, first of all. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about when you first became interested in fashion and design? Um, so Alison, I've always been into art and design and, you know, clothes, I guess. Most girls like to choose their clothes and, you know, be into uh, fashion. But um, so I have a background in industrial design. So I did go to school for, for design and I have friends that are fashion designers, graphic designers and whatnot. So I've always been surrounded with that energy. When I came to New York to do my master's in design management, I just happened to meet a fashion designer friend who was into handbags, handbag designing. And that's Mm -hmm. when it really kicked in that, you know, I was in the middle of the fashion capital of the world, New York City. And um, I love design and I love handbags and shoes. That's when I really found my true calling. That's amazing. And can you tell me about growing up in India and how it was ironic what you witnessed? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when I think back about just my life and every experience that I've had in life, it seems like a little miracle story because everything just kind of led up to where I am today. And it's just kind of clues and hints that life throws at you and you just, you know, evolve out of everything that you've experienced. So when I was growing up in India, and I'm a Hindu and partly Buddhist, well, we worship cows. Cows are like our mothers. And I used to actually go to school 
when I was like in middle school and my pathway while I, I had to walk to school and that was through a butcher house. So I saw this every day and, uh, you know, I heard screaming and cries of animals, uh, saw like blood flowing by in the streams. Oh my God. It's really awful and graphic. And, but that's just, you know, the way of life. I mean, people don't really question that. And I just began to question that in my mind. And I was um, a vegetarian back then. And my family is not vegetarian. Um, so I was like mm -hmm. the only oddball that kind of gave up, you know, eating meat and, uh, and now obviously dairy and everything else uh, but to me it just did not make that connection I just felt that you know well when we're worshiping cows how is it that people are eating meat people don't really eat beef but you know everything else uh, even chicken like why do you need to eat anything that's living so I just took a stand uh, with my diet at that point I was I think that's only 11 or 12 and I just mm -hmm. quit eating even the chicken and the fish that I was eating at that point wow and <laughs> That's how I began with my vegetarian uh, lifestyle, I guess. And then when I came to the U.S., I came for my undergraduate degree. And at that point, I was in the Midwest in Ohio. And really, like on campus, nobody even had heard of a vegetarian diet. People really? would ask me, yeah, they were like, what do you eat then? Just salad? <laughs> you know? And I was like, well, no, in India, you know, you have a lot of vegetarian options. And you don't really have to eat meat. So... I would literally just go to my cafeteria and pick up things from the salad bar, go back to my room and stir fry it and eat it with rice. Mm -hmm. So it was, there was really no option. So I, um, I became an RA in college and then I really started the whole propaganda of like getting vegan, like vegetarian and vegan options on campus. Wow, that's awesome. So you were convincing the colleges to change the food that they were providing. Yeah, there were a lot of other international students like myself. What I saw was that all these students would start converting into eating non-vegetarian food because there was no option instead of sticking it out and really um, leading the lifestyle that they grew up with. And partly it was probably because they uh, never really questioned why they're not eating meat. It was just their culture that said that, you know, we don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, on a different note, actually questioned that. It was so it was more of like an ethical choice rather than just something that was imposed on me. Right. I can't imagine. I mean, that visual is still sticking with me when you said the path that you would take to school, there was just blood coming down from the slaughter. I can't even imagine how, how that could not affect someone. I think it just becomes second nature to people when they're seeing that every day. But um, mm -hmm. for me, it just, it was just an image that, and the sound, like I, I could not just get that out of my mind. Right. I think it was just uh, a young age and it really just stuck with me and um, just so glad that that's kind of become like the mission of my life, really. <laughs> yeah, we are too, um, because you have this beautiful handbag line now. Can you tell us about when you had the moment of realizing like, okay, I can make these handbags and be in fashion, but they can't be made out of leather. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that's, um, I guess I'm full of stories today. <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> uh, so when I met that handbag designer friend that I was telling you about in my graduate program, I really got fascinated with the idea of designing handbags. And having had a, a design background already, you know, as an industrial designer, you are trained to design shoes and cars and whatnot. So I was, I was doing appliances and then all of a sudden I got interested in handbags. 
And so I decided that I would do an internship with a local uh, independent handbag design firm. And I did that while I was still in college. And when I went in for my internship, mind you, my internship did not last more than two weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, uh, literally, I went into their office and the first thing they gave me was the task of going into their hide stock room and just kind of labeling things and arranging things. And when I went in there, I, oh my gosh, I just remember like seeing all these hides. If you've actually seen a fresh hide, um, uh, you know, from the tannery, it is literally the shape of the animal. And oh my God, no, I have never seen this. Literally like the silhouette of a flat laying animal. It's just struck on me that oh my god this was a real animal that we just killed and uh, now we're trying to use it for our fashion and it was just such a big disconnect and I was like I'm vegetarian and how can I wear animal byproducts just on a daily basis if I'm not eating it why am I wearing it so I just you know thought about it and I started researching a little bit more there was really nobody out there that was talking about the cruelty aspect of the fashion industry and we've just been so brainwashed with thinking that leather is durable and leather is like a status symbol and leather is the way to go and you know and I realized that there are there have to be a lot of people that are vegan or vegetarian and feel the same way as I do they they just have not made that connection so I just you know could not take working there any longer so I just (laughs) went And I um, started researching this and trying to figure out how to really build my path in an industry that does not exist. It was quite a challenge. I began in the in the in the heart of Manhattan's fashion district, so I worked with uh, small scale studios and artisans here itself, and they had no idea how to work with non leather materials. Um, it's right. just uh, something that they're not accustomed to. And even their machines are not set that way. Even if you get high quality materials, they're just not willing to give it a try. <laughs> so um, Really? Wow. Yeah, because they're like, well, we don't want to take that liability if your bag does not turn out right. Because we're used to working mm-hmm. with leather. We know that's predictable. So it was hard to find factories first. Well, it was fine to find materials in the first place. Um, and then it was hard to find um, studios that would actually work with me to make the bags. And what year was this? I can imagine that now it must, I hope, hopefully it's changed a lot. But what, what years was this happening? This was in 2009. Not that long ago. Not too long ago. But surprisingly, uh, we've come a far away from that. Good. <laughs> so, okay. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I spent like the first half of 2009 just researching materials and figuring out like how going to really do this creating a business plan and then when I graduated in June after that I incorporated the company and I really started working on this full-time and so were you already were you always an entrepreneur did you always have that spirit or did your parents say you need to get a job like how was it starting your own business yeah I'd like to definitely say that entrepreneurship is in my blood my dad's an entrepreneur my brother's an entrepreneur (laughs) Uh, we've all had our own, my dad's had his own business ever since he was 25. So like, um, you know, around the same time when I started the company. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's always been in me. And I knew that I wanted to do something on my own. Partly the reason for that is also because now I have a two-year-old and I love the fact that I have this flexibility of working at my own terms and spending enough time with her. Sure. So I see in your bio that you put all of your life savings into building this brand. Was that scary? Oh, gosh, it was. <laughs> it was <pretty laughs> because, um, you know, everything that I'd saved up from the first few years of working, I part of it I put to, uh, put towards my graduate program. And I my father did help me a little bit with the graduate program as well. And everything else I just kind of put towards the business. And I was also freelancing at the time, so trying to make ends meet and at the same time save up for what I was really, really passionate about. So yes, it was scary. And it was, uh, you know, a lot of work. I'm just glad that I have a family and now, you know, my husband is who's very supportive of everything I do. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. So how did you come up with the name Gunas? And what does that mean? Okay, um, that's another very interesting story. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so you know, I really, I really do believe that when something's meant to happen, you do get all these signals and clues from the universe, and it, it just, you just have to pick them up, and you have to be receptive enough to know that these are being given to you. So when I was searching for a name for the company, and I was like Kenneth Cole, just Cavalli, and like all these other brands, like they all have their name in there. I I would love to have my name in there somehow but you know Sudan is not like really catchy or you know people are going to have a tough time pronouncing it <laughs> <laughs> as I did as I asked you how to pronounce your name three times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but you know I definitely wanted an essence of my name in it so I literally like took pieces of paper and I wrote down S-U-G-A-N-D-H on each of these papers and I started rearranging them I was just like sitting on my floor like apartment floor one morning having my coffee rearranging stuff you know thinking how am I going to really do this I came up with G-U-N-A-S and that kind of sounded nice and so when I googled it up it actually had like a super spiritual meaning it means the qualities of nature and if you're familiar with yoga you must have heard of the word gunas the three gunas Mm -hmm. and that's like basically the essence of everything in nature I was just so thrilled with stumbling upon this word and I was like this is it this is meant to be and I have to do it hell yes I love that. And so you said you had to push your comfort zone and really put yourself on the line. I love your whole philosophy, how if you're out to do something good, all of the forces in the universe will conspire to make things happen in your favor. Have you always felt like that? Most of the times, I would say. A lot of times, you know, everything is not always rosy. There there are a lot of times where I feel, oh my gosh, you know, I'm ready to give up. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is so hard and you know how am I going to do this by myself like I'm not like a huge corporation or somebody with like a lot of big uh, financiers backing me or anything of that sort so it gets hard it's definitely something like you just have to stay positive you have to keep encouraging yourself or seek out that encouragement from people that are close to you or your inner circle or whatever but like whatever gives you power right so you you seek yeah. that out from them Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about fashion and design. How do you come up with your ideas? You've got these bold colors and you've just got, you know, there's bright yellows, bright pinks, bright blues. How do you decide on how to design? And are you the sole designer? Do you have a team? How does that work? Uh, Well, right now I am the sole designer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, you know I actually just go a lot off of my own instincts like what would I like what is my style statement and 
beyond that, I've actually, you know, that's how I started initially. And now uh, my design process is more geared towards the Gunas girl, like really defining her, who she is, what she likes, where she lives, where, where does she like to go for vacations? What does she like to wear? What are her favorite colors? So it's really defining who she is. And she's really like the inspiration behind all the designs that you see on uh, on the Gunas website. And a lot of times, like I'll hear back from people, like we'll get emails all the time stating that, you know, hey, can you make a bag for the computer or can you make diaper bags? Can you make, you know, bags for mm. dogs or, you know, just stuff like that. So I'm always looking for this kind of feedback from people directly. And we just work off of that. So um, and as far as the colors go, I think that might just have to do something with my heritage since I'm Indian and I just love colors. <laughs> Everything has to be vibrant and lively and fun for me. Like Even though I love the classic look of many other brands, I feel that the Gunas brand really stands out because the, the Gunas girl is lively and she likes to have fun. She likes to enjoy life and live it to the fullest. And partly also because I don't want the vegan lifestyle to be seen as bland. I think that there's um, mm-hmm. just so much fun you can have with that. And I want my bags to really reflect that. Absolutely. And they are gorgeous and they are fun. And, and, you know, they look like designer brands that you would see in a Nordstrom or a Bloomingdale's or something like that. But they're sustainably sourced and they're vegan. And so for me, that makes it a no brainer. Like, why would I buy these expensive brands that are probably made with leather Mm -hmm. when I can buy yours that are just as gorgeous, if not more gorgeous, and feel good about what I'm purchasing? Thank you. You're welcome. So can you talk a little bit about the fashion industry as a whole? You mentioned this earlier, and we didn't go deep into it. But I I was the same way as you I was eating vegetarian and then eating vegan. But I wasn't making the connection. Oh, my belt. Oh, my shoes. Oh, my purses were made out of leather. I, I didn't even realize like I didn't even think about it until someone brought it up to me. And I was like, Oh, my God. Mm-hmm wait, what am I doing? And so I still have a lot of products that I owned before, you know, my aha moment, but I don't purchase them anymore, at least knowingly I don't. And so can you talk a little bit about why it's not only important to buy non-leather products, but why you need to know where your fashion is coming from? And that's just as important as knowing where your food is coming from. Right. So like you pointed out, Alison, it's very important to know not just how the product is made, but also where it's coming from. And part of this has actually been a big educational and learning experience for myself. And I think that that learning never stops. So I went from being vegetarian to then giving up leather and uh, all the other animal byproducts in my fashion, uh, in my closet, basically. And so it just grows, right? So like the fashion industry in general, I think has just been so dominated by marketing and just that image. Like the first few years, I had a tough time just breaking that image with the brand. Like how do you convince people that non-leather is luxurious, non-leather is fashion forward, non-leather is high quality? That was like a big barrier to break against. Once you get past that, then, um, and it was also a part of my journey, right? So when I began producing in, in Manhattan, I could not keep up with the prices. Like the, the manufacturing cost here was just enormous. My customers, buyers just could not pay that price. So I, it was like a self-discovery mode. I went to, people told me, why don't you go to China? Why don't you start producing bags over there? They're so cheap. So having not had that much experience, 
experience, I just went to venture out on my own and then figure it out. And soon I realized after just doing two rounds of production that and making three visits to China, seeing all the factories that I was working with, that this is not what I want my brand to reflect. This is not the kind of ethics. I was devastated to see the conditions that the factories were in. And people can tell me all the time that, no, that's not true. China has changed or whatever. But it, I mean, I can say 95% of it is like that. And it's not going to change anytime soon, no matter what people say. And it was just very depressing. So I asked my translator why they have these bars on their windows and their balconies. And she said that it's, uh, it's because people go through a lot of depression and they commit suicide because they only get to go home for a couple of weeks in a year to see their family. And the rest of the year, they're just working day and night with very few breaks. So the whole atmosphere was just very depressing and sad for me. And I, I just thought to myself that, okay, I understand that the manufacturing is cheap, but this is just not a place that I want to make my bags. That's when I discovered the whole ethical portion of fashion. And this was in 2012. And I again, you know, started doing my research on sweatshop-free manufacturing. And then I came across this organization that was just taking seed in the UK, which is called the Ethical Fashion Forum. Around that Mm -hmm. time, the same time, I actually moved back to India to my family for uh, eight months. And I literally converted my parents' garage into a studio. And I started training artisans there and working with them, again, in an effort to try and make that perfect product that's sweatshop-free, that's ethically made, that's cruelty-free. And so, So I was doing all of that. And then fortunately, the Ethical Fashion Forum recognized my work and awarded Gunas as the the most ethical accessories brand that year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So and that was like really the rise of the whole ethical statement in the fashion industry around 2012. And, um, you know, in a way, Gunas was really heading that that space in the industry. After I did the whole studio, the manufacturing, um, well, my husband and I, we had our daughters so it was (laughs) really tough for me to uh, continue that kind of lifestyle going back and forth running the manufacturing and doing the design and the marketing it really got out of control and so we just decided to move back to the U.S. just continue my work from here because the marketing aspect was all over here the sales and marketing and then we decided to just work with smaller artists and studios around the world so now I just visit the studios whether it's in India, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in um, South Korea, and uh, make sure that I'm happy working with the people that I choose to work with and Mm -hmm. their facilities are okay, their employees are okay, then we do production with them. So, So yeah, it's definitely important to know like what your products are made of, but also where they come from. Yeah, because I remember even Apple has been in the news for employees committing suicide. And it's because of exactly what you said. All they were doing was working. They don't get to see their families and it's it's sweatshops. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully they're changing their ways. I mean, I can't speak to it. I don't know enough about it. But the fact is that so many things that we buy and consume are created in these sweatshops. And it's, I can't believe that it is still happening to this day. But um, how can consumers find out if their products or their clothing is being made in sweatshops? Well, I think it's really, really tough because not many companies are transparent about 
such things. Uh, a lot of times people will not, uh, companies will not even state where the product is made. You know, sadly enough, it's, it's, it's just a reality. A lot of times people will choose price over, uh, price and quality over ethics. And even we as consumers, we do that all the time, whether knowingly or unknowingly. It's really hard. The only thing we can really do is be more conscious about it. At least start making smaller efforts. Maybe it's not like 100% of your closet or your, your pantry. Maybe it's, you know, 10%. Maybe you start with 20%, whatever it is. Once you find the products that work for you, once you find the products that are ethically made and or sourced, you'll just keep finding more and more and more. And slowly, it has to be a, a, a slow process. Nothing is going to change overnight. Right. Absolutely. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what made in the USA fashion really means? Uh, well, I, you know, my point of view with the USA fashion is, um, <laughs> I guess it's, uh, it's controversial. Okay. Because I have worked with factories in the US. I've practically worked with factories like in all the continents, to be honest. Wow. Yeah, I think Europe is probably the only like place that's left. Like I haven't, and I'm, I am working with factories in Italy next season. So that'll be covered as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've pretty much worked everywhere. And, you know, it's the sad reality. I don't know if you came across this article on the HuffPost recently. A lot of the factories in LA and in New York are actually run by the Chinese and the Koreans. And if you mm. go into these factories, um, the owners barely speak English, the workers barely speak English. These are immigrants that have come from China or like other parts of Asia um, and are mm. working at below average salaries. These are like mini sweatshops on their own. Yeah, It's really like for me, whether it's made in the US or whether it's made in Italy or any other part of the world, is not necessarily what's important. What's important for me is has this product been made in an environment that is conducive to the well-being of the people that are making it and the planet, right? So, yes. and that is what I go after. Like, even if I were to work with a factory here in the U.S., which I would love to at some point, A, because of the convenience factor. It would just be easy for me yeah. to you know, run down the street and, <laughs> and check out. But I would uh, definitely like to work with people that I know that are treating their workers rightly and paying them fairly in settings where there are Asian workers here, they don't really speak English. I don't really know how to cross-check that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, know what the, the fact or the reality is. So um, it's, it's a tough thing there. Like, I would love to promote Made in the U.S. products, but I think um, having an international background myself, I just have a more global perspective on things mm -hmm. and, and just a more holistic perspective, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for clarifying that. I think it's a misconception that people have that if it's made in the US, that it's, uh, it's going to be very high quality. It's going to be very sweatshop free. I also see it again as just a marketing gimmick because people say that it's made in the US. We can charge like 10 times the price, something made in China <laughs> and people will still pay that whether the quality is not there or whether the style is not there or whatever is missing. So you do land up making compromises somewhere in the process. Exactly. And so I love that Gunas does not compromise. I mean, it's like anything you come out with, I'm going to buy. I know you have shoes now, like keep them coming. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I actually just got back from Mexico uh, two days ago because I'd gone to check out factories there. Oh, uh, nice. For the shoe That's lady. awesome. And I mean, how many heads of companies, founders, CEOs are going and looking at the the place where their products are being made? I mean, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Today's podcast is sponsored by Gunas, an independent fashion label with a cause. We've all been there, walking past a shop and your eye gets drawn to the perfect bag, but oh no, it just happens to be made of leather. And then you have to walk away. I mean, that's me. And that can be hard, right? Because we all want nice things. But let's face it, the leather is cruel. It's cruel to the animals, cruel to the environment, and cruel to the people who have to work with it. But with Gunas, you don't have to worry about the ethics because every single one of their beautiful, fashionable bags is 100% vegan and 100% sweatshop free. I like that. Guna's bags are made without any animal byproducts, no silk, no wool, no leather or fur. They don't even use PVC, nickel, lead or vinyl because of the harmful effects on our planet. Whether you're looking for a clutch bag, shoulder bag, crossbody bag, tote, wallet, flat bag or even a backpack, Gunas has got you covered with five collections of stunningly designed ethical bags. I mean, they've got the Glam collection, which is sparkly and glittery, and they've got the Angel and Rebel collections that Susie loves, which are super vibrant and colorful. And they work with any outfit, whether you're going to that cute little vegan restaurant with your man, or on a night out with friends, or just doing your everyday stuff. You can rock the vegan look with one of these bags. And of course, you know that we scored an exclusive discount for you, Food Heals Nation. Go to gunasthebrand.com, use the coupon code FOODHEALS, and get 20% off your order. You're listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Okay, so how can Food Heals Nation be more fashion forward, but also animal friendly? I think it's important for everyone to really just make this their motto is to care about not only what they put in their body, but also to care about what they put on their body. Yes. Um, it's just equally important. Um, so <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, just caring about just not what you eat, but also what you wear and where it comes from is really, really important. I couldn't agree more. You are a female-owned business. We love anything that is girl boss, hashtag girl boss, <laughs> hashtag girl power. Um, so how about your staff? Are you all female? Are you diverse? Tell us about that. So in-house, yes, we're all female, but I also do work with, uh, well, of course, the factories that I work with are not like all female. Of course. Um, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then we also outsource like a lot of the marketing and all the other sales activities. So I try to work with as many women-owned businesses as possible. Sometimes um, you're just not you know, left with a choice. Uh, but yes, yeah. in-house, it's all female. And I'm training my daughter to take over already. So <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so do you think she'll, she'll be the the woman that takes over um I hope so I hope she chooses to you know carry on the legacy but of course it's totally her choice <laughs> she's two years old how are you teaching yeah. her <laughs> well she has already started kind of picking out her clothes and Ooh. we take her to a lot of farms and rescued animal sanctuaries and whatnot so she um is already developing that flavor of life wow. hopefully <laughs> it, it, it will evolve into a lot more and um and i'm hoping that she can continue with what i'm doing absolutely so are you vegan in the home as well um i am um and again like i said my family isn't <laughs> uh, my daughter i'm bringing my daughter up as vegetarian um so you know she does have some dairy but my husband is not vegetarian parents are not vegetarian so that <laughs> um, does get a little tough but they do 
all understand my point of view. They're trying to make as many changes as possible. But yes, I'm the only oddball. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I get you. <laughs> Do you feel like the fashion industry is becoming more welcoming to animal friendly lines? You know, I think there was always a space, even early on, for non-leather fashion. But I think it was because of the price point, because people believed that you could get cheaper non-leather alternatives and, you know, give people options through price. But now I think the customer is getting so much more smarter and so much more educated. And people want the same luxury, like the luxury quality of product with the non-leather or non-animal byproduct materials. So yes, I think that uh, more than the fashion industry, I think the consumers are the ones that really hold the power because unless they demand it and unless they want that niche to really come alive, the industry is not going to pick it up. Um, so that's why even uh, with Gunas as a company as, as, and as a brand, I'm always seeking out the approval of the community rather than the industry. So we don't really do styles per the season we don't really follow like the uh, the norm of the fashion industry. I do more uh, work based on the feedback of the people. Like what what is it that people want? I think that the fashion industry is changing in that sense that initially designers would dish out stuff and say, hey, you should wear that every season. Mm -hmm. But now things are turning around and people are actually... Uh, you know, designers are now making stuff that people want yes. to wear rather than what they want people to wear. So I think that's the big switch. And I think that's where the whole opportunity for the non-leather industry is opening up. You know, we always say on this show, vote with your shopping cart. And we're talking about food, right? Vote for the world mm -hmm. that you want to live in by what you put in your cart. And it's the same thing with yep. the products that we buy, with the clothes that we wear. Vote for the world that you want. So if you're shopping, at places that you know they're really cheap but they're really trendy let's say you probably aren't shopping somewhere that is ethically sustainable that is morally sustainable and so right vote with your shopping cart with everything that you purchase and I'm still learning this you know I'm still making changes I didn't realize what a huge issue this was there are so many documentaries now that talk about fashion and you know you can educate yourself right and so obviously you're educated I'm educating myself and Food Heals Nation is learning as well so yeah can you tell us a little bit about where everyone can find out more about you find you online stalk you on Instagram look at your beautiful <laughs> pictures of the bags everything like that Thank you. Um, so yeah, uh, well, the website is the direct way to really find us, gunasthebrand.com. And you can also find us on Instagram. Uh, it's gunas underscore New York. And by the way, on Instagram, all the photographs that you see are real life vegans, featuring real life vegans. So we work with, whether it's with models or with people, um, it's really about the, the vegan lifestyle. So everything down to the core has been thought about, has been a thought to everything that uh, we put out there. So yes, Instagram, uh, there's Facebook, we're also on Pinterest, um, and of course, our website. Perfect. And can you leave us with a tweetable? Um, sure. I like to say that no event in life is by accident. Um, it is either a repercussion of the past or a preparation for the future. So 
beautifully stated. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. I'm sorry Susie couldn't be here to hear all about this, but we'll make sure that she listens. And yes, so everyone go to gunasthebrand.com. Check out the beautiful handbags and the shoes and more coming soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.